Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. On our game day segment this week, our guest will be the radio play-by-play voice of Michigan basketball, Brian Bush. First, a few of my thoughts to get us started. It seems like just yesterday when we heard the news Coach B was leaving and Juwan was coming back to take the reins. Now, we're in the last week of the regular season and the final home game is Thursday against Nebraska. It's been a roller coaster of a ride for Juwan's first year, but he has shown a steady hand in shaping the team. I think we're in the big dance regardless of what happens this week and then in the Big Ten tournament next week, but you don't want to end the season on a down note. Whatever happens, I think we're a dangerous team, and if we stay healthy, it could be another thrilling March run, but we'll see. My guest today says Michigan is a team that could go out in the first round of the NCAA tournament or make a run into the second weekend. Radio play-by-play voice Brian Bush is up next here on The Michigan Man in partnership with our friends at SB Nation's Maze & Brew. So stay with us. Here with us once again on our game day segment is Michigan radio play-by-play voice Brian Bush. Brian, thank you for joining us again. Oh, no problem, Mike. Glad to be here. Well, we've turned the calendar to March already. Brian, hard to believe we're in the uh, the last week of the regular season, isn't it? It's crazy. I mean, it, it's flown by. It seems like just yesterday we were, you know, at home for the opener against App State and then in the Bahamas. And, you know, when you have this, you know, this routine, I know the, the, the days between the games change mm-hmm. for, for everybody involved, the fans, the players, the coaches, but there's always the routine of you watch the game, you talk about the game, you look ahead to the next game, and then boom, here's the next one. And it's just, I mean, it really flies by. And, you know, I mean, the, the players are so locked in, you know, one game at a time. That's why I'll, I'm always curious this time of year, you know, are you trying to, are you able to reflect a little bit? And they've stayed away from that mostly, but uh, hopefully we have another month or so to reflect upon uh, before we, we get into the off season. But I mean, it, it has flown by, and, and obviously it's been you know a bit of, a, of an up-and-down season, but a lot more ups than downs. Let's talk about uh, what happened down in Columbus uh, on Sunday for starters. Uh, the Buckeyes won the game on Sunday. Three-point shooting, absolutely the difference in that one, wasn't it, Brian? It was. I mean, you came into this week, and, and the mark was 35% for both Wisconsin and for Ohio State. I think Wisconsin was 12-0 and when shooting 35% or better. Ohio State was, I think, 16-1. and and both shot well above that mark. Both teams had a go-to guy who seemingly, you know, either bailed out uh, the Badgers or the or the Buckeyes on a tough possession, or they just found their way wide open. It was Demetrius Trice on Thursday, and then Dwayne Washington Jr. on Sunday. And uh, you know, you know, Juwan Howard was frustrated in post game in both situations, in, in that the defense was not communicating the way he wanted it to. Uh, they were not executing the way that they had been when, you know, for what, a three-and-a-half-week stretch, you could argue that it was the best defense in college basketball. Uh, and I think that's – obviously there, there's some things that the team needs to switch on that. I also just think it's, it's kind of college basketball, especially in the Big Ten. There, there are so many good teams. It is difficult. As much as coaches, 
you know, would love to say, hey, we want our team to play its A game every single night. It, it's just not feasible. And they didn't. Ohio State, tip your cap, they sure did. I mean, they played really well with, you know, a somewhat shorthanded bunch. And, you know, uh, it, it was a 14-point game, but it, I don't think it was that lopsided. It just kind of got away from Michigan in the final, you know, eight, ten minutes of the game. Uh, you know, I, I think if they played again in Indianapolis or, or maybe even in the NCAA tournament, uh, you know, I'd like Michigan's chances, but, you know, you go and two against Ohio State, obviously it's, it's disappointing, but, you know, there are bigger fish to fry, and, and there's still a lot more out there for this team. Yeah, and you know, when you looked at the stat line from Sunday's game, basically even, I mean, the three points as shots, as we mentioned, were the difference, but you sort of know it's uh, not going to be your day, especially in that last seven-minute stretch when you've got the Wesson brothers banking in three-pointers, which is sort yeah. of crazy. Yeah, I mean, it was... Those were daggers. I mean, there's, you know, those were some of the possessions where it did feel like, you know, Michigan did what it wanted to do on the defensive side. And, you know, I, that's not the difference, obviously, you know, but that was kind of, that's what turned it from a potential nail biter down the stretch to a, you know, a 14 point game. I mean, that, you know, if you get those types of breaks, it, it's going to happen. I mean, Ohio State outplayed Michigan, uh, but yeah, that's, that's what kind of separated and, and, and turned it out of a game in the final minute or two. Well, Eli Brooks uh, was back wearing his mask for the first time, and uh, also it was revealed that he uh, was uh, suffering uh, from a sinus infection, I guess was last Thursday for the Wisconsin game. But great to see him back. He does make that defense better, doesn't he? He does. And, and you know, I, I really thought it was interesting, you know, how Jawan Howard, uh, when he was talking about Eli after Thursday's game, he mentioned, you know, listen, Xavier Simpson's a great defender, and he was honored nationally. But, you know, he, he kind of said, Eli Brooks is our, our defensive anchor. And, and I think what Eli does so well is he can bother outside shooters. I think Xavier Simpson is a guy who can, you know, he, he's pretty even uh, in, in his entire defensive game. But, you know, I mean, we saw him struggle a little bit one-on-one with a guy like Peyton Pritchard, the first meeting with Cassius Winston, whereas Eli – I mean, he just – Eli has a great knack of defending before his his assignment gets the basketball. And that, I think, it has to fluster you so much as an offensive option because you have to work so hard just to get the basketball. And then you have to, you know, go score the basketball. Like, that's the main thing, and, and you're, you're already working so hard to get to that point. And that's where that's where Eli is so valuable. And obviously, it's easy to be a revisionist history, you know, historian in basketball and say, "Oh well, hey, if, if Eli plays Thursday, Michigan beats Wisconsin. Maybe they go in with more momentum and beat Ohio State." You, you can't do it that way. I mean, Michigan has played shorthanded before this season, but I, I do think people, you know, I've heard a lot about, um, you know, about Eli Brooks. You know, is he really, you know, should he be playing thirty minutes a night? Um, I, I've heard a lot of people kind of writing in David Julius into the starting lineup next year over Eli Brooks. I mean, that that could certainly happen. And I, I love Dave's potential, and I love where he can be as a basketball player. Uh, but Eli Brooks is as solid as they come. He's really fundamentally sound on both sides of the floor. I mean, this is this is his spot at the two. We saw that against Wisconsin, uh, and and he's somebody who. I mean, he can affect the game on both sides, and, and he does it with such a calmness. I think you need to have that if you're a defender uh, at his level. You just kind of shake off, you know, a tough possession here and there if it happens to come. And, and that's where, you know, I think who he is as a person and how he handles, whether it's the injury or, or adversity or losing or whatever it might be, 
Uh, I'm, I think Eli is, is really good. He's a well-grounded, intelligent young man, and, and he kind of knows how to how to take the big picture look, which which has to help when you're you know when you're in the midst of some of these tough games down the stretch. Well, again, the defense did look more in sync on Sunday with him back, and the mask was interesting. Do you think it's going to take him a, a bit more time to get used to having that on? He told me that the big thing is just the peripheral vision. Um, he said, you know, it, it, from a comfort perspective, it's fine. I mean, it, you know, it's it's something you're wearing, so there's there's going to be something to notice. Uh, but but he did say that you know from a peripheral vision perspective, it's a little bit different. If if you look at it, the the bottom of the eye has a little bit more room, but the top of the eye is pretty close to pretty close to his his eyebrow. Um, so you know if he's kind of looking up, uh, it's 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 probably a little bit challenging. I mean, I don't. I, I think it's difficult to understand, uh, and I, I sure don't. But in talking to players, like the peripheral vision you have to have at that level of basketball is is ridiculous. And if you have anything in the way, it, it kind of affects things a little bit. So, you know, I, I didn't expect him to go out and score twenty and, and hold you know whoever his defensive assignment was to you know five points on one of nine shooting yesterday. It was going to take an adjustment, uh, but it was good to see him go out there. He played twenty nine minutes. Uh, he gave them, you know, certainly enough uh, from his position to to keep, you know, to stay competitive in that game. Uh, but but I think, you know, I think he'll adjust to it. Um, and and you know, Coach Howard, you know, he was praising Eli uh, post game yesterday for for going out there and you know and playing for his team and, and you know in the stretch run with a broken nose. I mean, there's the mask is helpful, but there's still a risk to that. I mean, you can you know the mask won't fix everything. Uh, so for him to go out there, it, it shows what, what this team means to him and vice versa. Well, Franz Wagner was solid again, Brian. He is really making strides on both ends of the floor, getting his hands on a lot of balls, uh, getting more rebounds, really coming around, isn't he? He is. I, you know, I've I've been super impressed with how he's handled himself on and off the floor. He's a young man who, you know, is very, you know, you, you hear the phrase, got a good basketball IQ, and he certainly does, and a lot of the players on this team do. But what he does, I think he's he's a little more self-critical and self-reflective than most players I've been around in that, you know, he will, I think he'll pretty aggressively go after what, you know, he perceives and the coaching staff perceives his flaws to be. Uh, Juwan Howard has always preached, if you have an open shot, take it. And we saw Franz Wagner take a ton of threes early on this season, and he's capable of shooting the three-pointer well. He just hasn't done it a ton this year. So I've been really impressed with how he has changed his game to become more of a driver of the basketball. He's still going to shoot some threes. He's still going to make some threes. But that's been more effective for him driving inside. I mean, he's got a really good two-point field goal percentage. He's rebounding the basketball at a really high level. I mean, you know, over the last, what, 10 games, I think Mm -hmm. he's the team's leading rebounder. I mean, he's, he's really taking care of business on the interior. Once he starts hitting that shot consistently, and I think that's going to be where his you know focal point will be from an improvement standpoint going into next season. If he can turn that three-point field goal percentage from you know around the thirty percent it's at now to the upper thirties, and continue to incorporate what he's done inside the arc, I mean he's going to be an All Big Ten player next year. He he's that good, and you know the way that he understands the game, the way that he cares. Uh, I mean he. I think if you talk about most improved players over the course of the season, I think Franz Wagner's on the top of that list, especially considering he got hurt late 
you know, in that off season stretch and into the, you know, the, the October practices. And then he debuts with three games in three days. He gets sick around the holidays. You know, I mean, he, he had to, he had to deal with a lot and to see him, you know, over his last three games, he's shooting like 70% and he's averaging 19 a game. I mean, you just, you know, over the course of the last decade with this program, you don't see a lot of freshmen leaned upon as much as Franz Wagner has been. I mean, that that goes to show you what, what, what kind of competitor he is and how much he's improved. Well, you're right. He's uh, driving to the hole. He's going to get his groove from the outside. Another thing he's doing that I like is uh, backing his man down and being very effective scoring that way. Yeah, it, isn't that a cool wrinkle? I mean, yeah. it's something different. He's not going to do it all the time. But, you know, when I think that's what makes a guy like you know, Isaiah Livers so difficult to cover is because he can do it in a lot of different ways. And we're seeing the same type of development, the same type of refinement in Franz Wagner's game. I mean, you see it, it's easier to notice with a guy like Xavier Simpson. He's so crafty. He really needs to, because of his size, because of his lack of, you know, elite shooting ability, you see Xavier, you know, whip it out, bang shots and Euro steps and all this stuff. Guys like Franz and, and Isaiah, it's a little bit, a little easier for them, you know, just from a shooting perspective. So maybe it's tougher to it's tougher to see sometimes those different wrinkles. Mm-hmm. But man, when you when you bring it all together and you see everything, like Dylan Dylan Burkhardt at UM Hoops does a great job of showing guys and and how like you know how they differentiate how they score the basketball. And I'm sure if you looked at some of those charts back in December versus now, I mean, there's you know there's four or five different ways that you're seeing him score as opposed to just relying a ton on the threes early in the season. Let's talk about Isaiah Livers for uh, just a minute or two, Brian. He uh, has been back, I think, three games now uh, starting. Uh, not a big factor in any of those games. His three-point shot, not uh, what it was earlier in the season. Do you think the main reason for that is he's still working himself right back into game shape? I do. Uh, I think the you know the ankle injury is one of those where you can you can play through it but you're not going to be 100%. I mean, he's still getting taped up before the game. I would expect that to continue throughout the season. I mean, we saw we saw what happened with the groin, hip, whatever injury he had, you know, the two separate times that he, he injured it, especially that second time. They really made sure that he was 100% good to go. I think to a man, he, he probably would have said, yeah, I could have played against Ohio State that first game. But they wanted to be careful, and he came back against Michigan State and obviously played well. He played well until he hurt his ankle. And I think now, you know, he sees I'm running out of time. I need to go out there and play. I'm not saying he's at 60%. I just don't think he's quite at 100%. He's He's not able to do the things as consistently as what we've seen early in the season. Now, he's still able to affect the game. He's just right now not making shots. And I, I haven't talked to him about this, but I wonder if – is he able to get the lift just enough on that, you know, on that ankle to, to follow through on a shot or, you know, is it just a, a, a cold stretch? I mean, he, what's, what makes Isaiah so important to this team is that he allows coach Howard to really mix up the rotation. He can do a lot of things where, you know, even on Sunday against Ohio state, you know, none of the bigs could really manage to stay out of foul trouble. I mean, John Teske picked up four. We saw Austin Davis pick up three. Colin Castleton had two in two minutes. Uh, so, you you know, with Isaiah there, you, you can more absorb that. 
Uh, if he's out of that game and you have that foul trouble, Michigan would have been in a world of hurt. So he's still able to affect the game, even though he's, you know, he shot, you know, what, around 30% mm-hmm. the last few ball games. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think there's still room for him to improve. And I'll be curious because this is a, this is a little bit of a longer gap here. Uh, Michigan will likely, until the Big Ten tournament, go Thursday, Sunday, Thursday. So this is a stretch here um, where he's going to have a little bit of time to get ready for that Nebraska game, a little more than normal. Um, and hopefully he can get back to a point where he is at the 100%. I can't give you a figure on where mm-hmm. he's at, but it does look like he's still trying to work through some things. Well, one of my emails in the uh, the last week or two from fans have been questions about John Teske. I, yesterday during the game, I was getting that. What's up with John Teske on the offensive end right now? You think he's just in a little bit of a, a funk right now? It's interesting. I, I've I've talked with, with several people about this. I think there's a couple things at work here. Number one, the Big Ten is a brutal league if you're a center. And it's tough. And a lot of people discuss the offensive features of these centers, which is true. But defensively, it's challenging. And, you know, John Teske was not a post-up player when he was under John Beeline. He has become that. And, I mean, you see it almost every game where the first play of the game offensively for Michigan is setting up a post-up for John Teske. And he got a few of those to fall on Sunday. It hasn't been a consistent source for him. Uh, but I, I think that's part of it. And secondly, I think, you know, he's he's a senior. He he wants everything out of this final season. And, you know, he, he's a guy who has leaned upon so much on the defensive side of the floor. Or I, I just I think that that's been affecting him a little bit on the offensive side. I mean, he's already surpassed his number of field goal attempts from last season. He was the fifth option field goal shooting wise last year and he's the number one this year now part of that has to do with Isaiah Livers being hurt you you would assume he would have been the number one option in terms of just you know total field goal attempts if he's playing the entire season but there is that reliance on John Teske that he this is the first time he's been a focal point of the offense so when you combine that with the fact that you know he was more of a pick and pop kind of a guy uh, I, I think he is pressing a little bit, and you know I think it's only human. He's a senior. It's March. His team has you know had some up and down stretches. Uh, you know, it, it, and and he has a ton of a defense. He has a lot of a, t- a defensive responsibility on the other side. So, I think I think people need to kind of temper their expectations with John offensively. I don't think he's. You know, this team has developed to a point now because of Franz Wagner's emergence, because Isaiah Livers is now back, and hopefully he'll play the rest of the season, because Xavier Simpson has become more of a scoring threat, especially when there's been a guy injured. John Teske hasn't been needed to be the go-to scorer like he was during the non-conference. The other thing I'll say is, and I could be way off on this, but I think of any player on this team, John Teske is going to benefit the most from getting outside of the Big Ten once we get into the NCAA tournament. Because you look at what he was able to do during the non-conference schedule, where there aren't as consistent of a, you know, of a dominant center on all these teams. I mean, there might be more good centers in the Big Ten than there are in the rest of the, you know, the power conference teams that are going to go dancing. So I'll be really curious to see how he adjusts 
once he gets out of the grind that is the Big Ten schedule against all these good centers, because as we saw, I mean, guy put up 10 or more points in 13 of his first 15 games. Like He can score even when he's got a different offensive role. Now, things have changed, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him have a breakout game in like a round of 32 situation because of the fact that, based on the odds, he's probably not going to go up against as good of a center as he's faced, what, 10 of the last 15 games of his season? It's just something to watch. John Tasky and Xavier Simpson have tasted a lot of success uh, in their Michigan careers, as we all know, but they've never won a game in Value City Arena. And for two Ohio kids, that's got to be a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? Yeah, and and it's a bummer, too. They only got two cracks at it, right? Uh, I'm hopeful that – I mean, this this should be – Michigan and Ohio State should play twice a year in basketball. Same thing with Michigan and Michigan State. And, you know, the one game before Sunday was that weird December game, the year that they went to New York City for the early Big Ten tournament. I remember Michigan was rolling in that game. And, and then the second half was, was one of the stranger implosions that we saw in the John Beeline era. Uh, but still, the fact that, you know, they wanted every other arena, uh, that that's pretty darn impressive. And um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it bothers them, but you know what? The great thing about this is they have an opportunity to potentially see him in the Big Ten tournament. And if not, as much as you want to beat Ohio State in that moment, Michigan's beaten Ohio State in terms of going deep in the NCAA tournament over the last few years. That's that's where it's mostly going to be remembered. That's the thing in college basketball. And if Michigan can make a deeper run and they go further than Ohio State, you'll take that over. What was a frustrating loss on Sunday, don't get me wrong, but I've still maintained that with guys like Simpson and Teske and Livers and Brooks, guys who have had success, they know how to win on neutral floors. There isn't a team in the Big Ten, there isn't a team in the NCAA tournament that if they see Michigan on the other side is going to go, oh, good, that's a good matchup for us. Because Michigan just is able to play. That doesn't guarantee anything. Michigan could be one and done in both. I mean – that's how deep the Big Ten tournament is, and that's how crazy the NCAA tournament is. But uh, this team has that opportunity uh, in March on a neutral floor. I mean, uh, there isn't a team in college basketball that would want to see Michigan on that other side. I, I, I truly believe that. Well, we're 18-11 and 11 overall, 9-9 nine and nine in the Big Ten with two left. Nebraska coming into Chrysler on Thursday, and Michigan really needs to bounce back win and get a W in that one, don't we? Yeah, I mean, Nebraska, that's got to be a win. If they lose that game, they're they're leaving themselves susceptible to potentially, if things go poorly, to have to play on Wednesday. Beat Nebraska, and they're on to Thursday. I, I think it's, it's almost a certain now, if they finish 10-10, and 10, even 11-9, and 9, I'm not sure how they get out of the 8-9 game. I think there's a chance if they win both that they, um, that they get a chance at the 7. But basically, if you look at the standings right now, all the teams above them, Michigan either has tied with in the regular season or they've lost the season series. And everybody below them, they've won. I mean, Rutgers, Indiana, Purdue, they've, they've got all the tiebreakers down low. So uh, I, I think, you know, if you play this out and you, you go with what's expected and that they beat Nebraska and lose at Maryland, you're 10-10, and 10, you're probably in that 8-9 game. And, you know, you'll play – You'll play an 8-9 game against a team that you probably will have already beaten once or twice because it'll probably be one of those Rutgers or Indiana or Purdue, um, teams that are going to desperately be needing a win to improve their NCAA tournament resume. But if you get past them, you'll probably 
face Maryland again if Maryland holds on to that one seed. And, you know, the thing I've been most impressed about with Juwan Howard this year is that he's been able to make adjustments and fix things quicker than I think it would have been realistically expected for a first-year head coach. I would like the fact that if Michigan went to Maryland and lost and got to play them a week later on a neutral floor, I'd, I'd be pretty confident in the adjustments they could make. Now, they, Michigan could absolutely go to Maryland and win the game. But, you know, at this point, you have to take care of business against Nebraska or you're opening yourself up to – I don't think they'd ever be on a, a dangerous spot in the NCAA tournament. I think if this team loses out, they're still in. But take care of Nebraska – the Maryland game is kind of a, a bonus if you get it great. You know, might improve you a couple of, of uh, you know a couple of overall seeds in the NCAA tournament, and then you find your way to, to Indianapolis, where we've seen Michigan win it as an eight. We've seen Michigan win it as a five. We saw Michigan get to the championship game last year as a three. You know, there's no there's no set formula you need because uh, this year, I mean, there are, there are 12 teams that can legitimately win that thing. I thought it was interesting after the game uh, on uh, CBS and the post game. Jerry Palm still had Michigan a number seven seed. Does that, regardless of what happens this week and then in the uh, Big Ten tournament, do, does that sound about right to you, Brian? Yeah, I do. I, I do think so. I mean, the thing that's tough about the NCAA tournament is that you don't know who's going to, you know, who's going to have a big week. Like, keep in mind, remember when Michigan, the plane crash year when Michigan was able to win four in four days, what in DC, I mean, that team was that team going into it was, it was on the right side of the bubble, but you were seeing them a lot as a nine or a 10. And then they win the tournament and they jump to a seven seed. And I'd argue that I, I remember sitting there on selection Sunday going, how did they not jump to a six or maybe a five? <laughs> yeah. You don't, you just don't know what, what team is going to make, you know, if you're Michigan, you want you want Baylor or Kansas to win the Big 12 tournament. You want Duke or Louisville to win the ACC tournament. You, you want you want chalk on that side because you want the higher seeds to stay where they are because you, you really just want to avoid that 8-9 game. Uh, and I think if Michigan – to me, Michigan solidifies a 6 or a 7 if they finish with at least two wins. That's taking care of Nebraska – and then getting a win in Indianapolis. It gets you to 20. It gives you another solid win against somebody on a neutral floor. I mean, that'll be, you know, Indianapolis is going to be quad one heaven because there's going to be a bunch of net top 50 teams playing each other on a neutral floor. So, you know, you're going to have another quality win. As long as you beat Nebraska, you're not going to have a bad loss. So I think that puts you where you want. You'd love to see him get to a six because I don't think there's, you know, the three seeds are kind of, once you get past the top, like, there's unquestionably Baylor and Kansas are very good. Unquestionably Gonzaga is good. I think San Diego State's still very good, uh, even though they they have looked you know they have looked human over the last few games. Uh, the two seeds, you know, right now who the heck knows? That's where it's fluid. So I, I'm I'm fine if this team gets a seven, but you, I think the three seeds are going to be those top twelve teams that don't finish strongly. So if you can get a six, take care of business against an eleven and then face a three that maybe didn't finish as well as some of those teams that hopped them, I think that really fits well into what Michigan's trying to do. I mean, they can beat anybody in the country when they're playing their A game. We've seen that against, you know, with some of their wins this season. Uh, but I'd love to see them try to get to a six, and that might take three wins. Uh, but it, it, it all depends. Regardless, as long as they beat Nebraska, and I think as long as they don't go over for an Indy, 
I think we're off that eight nine line, and we have a chance to to set ourselves up to, you know, get the right matchups and, and potentially make this another Sweet Sixteen plus season. Well, final question for you, Brian. I know you haven't seen everyone in the Big Ten yet. You're going to see uh, Maryland this weekend, of course. But from what you've seen, how impressed are you with with the Big Ten and its balance this year? Oh, I mean, you know, I, I've been following Michigan as the host for the network for a while, but. I mean, you think back to even, what, two years ago mm-hmm. when the Big Ten got four teams in the dance. And now I think it's going to probably end up being nine, maybe even eight if Rutgers keeps slipping. Um, but, you know, for a time there, you could talk yourself into 11 or 12 Big Ten teams getting in. And then Minnesota lost every game by one. Indiana lost a lot of their games by one. You know, it's going to happen. But the fact that legitimately going to Indianapolis, you can talk yourself into 12 teams having enough oomph to get through that thing and win the big 10 tournament. It goes to show you how deep this league is. And, you know, I think I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that, you know, regardless of, you know, outside, you know, I want Michigan to win this thing, but I also want these big 10 teams near the top, the Maryland's and, 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 you know, et cetera, the world to get these higher seeds because, I just I hope it's not one of those like where the Big Ten just has you know four teams on the eight or nine line because it's difficult there to make a big kind of run. I, I think when we when we're sitting here after the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament, we're going to say, boy, how did insert Big Ten team get upset as a four, five, or six seed in the first round? And we're going to say, boy, how did insert Big Ten team go from uh, you know a seven, an eight, or a nine seed to the Sweet Sixteen? I don't know who the heck those teams are going to be. But that speaks to me of how good the Big Ten is as a whole, that you can have all these teams and legitimately, I could see Penn State losing the first round. I could see Penn State in the Elite Eight. And I could say that about almost any team that's solidly into the tournament, almost any team. Uh, it's, it's an impressive group. There's not a dominant team, but I think that's, that's partly because it's just so deep of a league. I think Maryland's dangerous in the tournament. I think Michigan State's dangerous in the tournament. I think Michigan's dangerous in the tournament. Uh, and, and there certainly are others who can get hot with the right matchups as well. Uh, it's it's going to be really fun to watch. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we have some Sweet 16 or Elite 8 game that's that's a Big Ten Big Ten matchup, and that, that'd be pretty fun to watch. I agree with that. It's uh, going to be uh, an interesting last week of the regular season, and then, of course, uh, the tournament getting underway next week. So we shall see. With us on our game day segment this week has been Michigan Radio play-by-play voice Brian Bush. Uh, a pleasure having you on the show, Brian, and as we uh, get into the postseason, we hope to get you back. Sounds good, Mike. Always a pleasure, man. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze & Brew. On Quick Hits today, women's basketball raced out to an early lead, but an 11-0 Indiana run in the late stages of the first quarter changed the momentum as Michigan never let again falling 78-60 to number 22-ranked Indiana on Sunday at Chrysler Center. Senior Akinra Johnson tallied her second double-double of the season with 16 points and a career-best 14 rebounds. Sophomore Naz Hillman had 13 points and 7 boards. 
while freshman Maddie Nolan scored a career-best 13. Sophomore Amy Dilk rounded out Michigan's double-figure scorers with 12 points. Michigan held a 38-30 advantage on the glass, but Indiana shot 53.7%, 29-4-54 from the floor, compared to a 33.9%, 20-59 showing from Michigan. Michigan finished the regular season with a 19-10 overall record and a 10-8 mark in Big Ten action to finish 7th. We will be the number 7 seed for the upcoming Big Ten tournament and will play this Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Straussman made 27 saves while Jack Becker and Nick Granowitz scored to guide Michigan past number 18 Minnesota 2-1 in the regular season hockey finale. With the win over the Golden Gophers, the Wolverines, 16-14-4 overall, 11-10-3 in the Big Ten, secured home ice for this week's Big Ten tournament first round. Number three-seeded Michigan will host number six-seed Michigan State in a best-of-three series, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, if necessary, at Yost Ice Arena. Number 13-ranked softball split its final games of the Judy Garman Classic, winning a 1-0 walk-off against Colorado State after falling to number 2 Washington, 10-2 in five innings on Sunday at CSU Fullerton's Anderson Family Field. Junior left-handed pitcher Megan Bobian, 6-4, who came up short 1-0 in Saturday's pitcher's duel against number 3 Texas, was outstanding again from the circle, striking out a season-best 14 while allowing four hits and a walk en route to the complete game shutout. This week we'll stay in California for the UCLA-LBSU Invitational. We'll play Cal State Fullerton and UCLA on Thursday, then Boston University and UCF on Friday. We are 12-6 and six heading into this week's action. Junior righty Blake Beers was dominant on the mound, and the Wolverine offense broke through late as baseball defeated Cal Poly 4-2 on Sunday to earn the series win at Baggett Stadium. Beers, now 2-1, and one, tossed eight strong innings on the mound, striking out six Mustangs while surrendering just one earned run on two hits and picking up the win for Michigan. Senior Benjamin Kaiser threw the final inning, picking up his first save of the season, with no walks and two strikeouts in the frame. We'll stay in California for another busy week, before returning for the home opener next week in Ann Arbor, weather permitting, of course. It's Stanford and Cal midweek, then a three-game weekend series with Pepperdine. We are 6-4 and four as this week's play begins. That will do it for another busy week on the Michigan athletic scene. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Tell your friends and family about the show and make sure to join us again next week. Have a great Wolverine week, everyone. Until we meet again, take care and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!